So we're in the book of Colossians. And Colossians um, talks about the uniqueness and the glory and the wonder of Christ. We come to this passage, it's just so rich. Let me read it. This chapter 1, verse 15 and 17, where Paul says, He's the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over or of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, see, Paul's writing this church of Colossae, and it's a young church. It's a church that has been birthed and pastored by a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras is sitting there listening to Paul give instruction as he's in prison in Rome. He's going to go back to Colossae and talk to them. And Epaphras has given this very positive report about the growth of the church and their, their fruit bearing and their desire to love one another and to love Christ. But, but yet there are some concerns, and Paul's addressing, one of the concerns he's addressing is just something called the Colossian heresy. And they had all these discordant, cacophonic voices speaking into the church, saying, it's fine to believe in Jesus, he's one of many, but you really need to worship angels. You really need to have angel gods. And, or, or, or it's fine to hold to this, but, but to really be made right with God, you've got to keep an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. Or it's fine to believe in truth, but ultimate truth is what you experience. So it's not really what you can read or speak, it's what you experience in an ecstatic way in your spirit. And it's fine to talk about the earth being created by God, but we know in reality it is not created by God, that the earth is created by some demiurges that have descended from the main God who cannot be defined, and the earth is really not beautiful, it's a putrid mess. And so all these discordant, cacophonic, weird voices speaking in the church of Colossae. And Paul is just writing this beautiful book about the sufficiency and the supremacy and the eternal nature and the glory of Christ. And I love the book of Colossians. We, too, live in a time where there are all types of voices speaking into the public arena, all types of voices on the airwaves. So let me show you this. We, Lifeway Publishing Company, the Sun School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul, did a demographic study of evangelicals. Now, evangelicals are people who claim to know and love the gospel, and evangelicals go to Bible believing churches. So these are, these are evangelicals. And they ask him a series of questions. And let me show you just four of the questions, three of the questions and add one. First question is this, is Jesus the first and greatest being created by God? Yes or no, or I don't know. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Do you think the number of people who said yes were 14%, 32%, or 71%? The answer is 71. Now, that's called heresy. Uh, it's called Arianism. It is something that was dealt with at the Council of Nicaea in 325 and has been a bane to the existence of the church forever. It's heresy. Another question was asked was this. Is the Holy Spirit a person or merely a force? Is the Holy Spirit a person or a force? And 56% of the people said, evangelicals, he is a force, or it is a force. No, he's, he's eternal God. He's the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Another question. This deals with salvation. Individuals must contribute to their own salvation. Now, listen, we're children of the gospel. We believe that you're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, by the work of Christ alone. Okay, the key, the word alone should be a giveaway, all right? All right, alone. Just think about it. So individuals must contribute to their own salvation. Did 27%, 41%, or 74% yes to that? Answer, 74. It's amazing to me. Then the last question is, my good deeds help to earn my place in heaven. Once again, the word alone is pretty important here. And what percentage said yes, 20, 39, or 54, 39. So I, I read these things, and I, I stop and said, these are evangelicals. And the issue is we've got to understand and know the glory of the gospel of Jesus. We've got to know the glory of the character of Christ. And so while Paul is writing to this church that's dealing with all these weird voices, we live in the same context, obviously. And so Paul has said, he's heard about the church, and so he gives this incredible prayer, starting in verse 9, and he, and he prays with great pathos and energy. He says, I, I pray that you would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and power in the nods of him, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the light in the kingdom of God. And then he says this, why can this come about? Verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, see, the, the reason we can bear fruit, the reason we can be strengthened with all power for endurance with difficult situations and patience with difficult people, the reason we can joyfully give thanks is because we have been, by the grace of God, delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so as, as Paul contemplates that, he breaks out into this incredibly beautiful praise to Christ. It's a hymn of praise that I just read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. There's a little hymn by John Newton, who was the slave trader, saved, became a, a pastor. He wrote Amazing Grace. But he wrote another hymn, and it went something like this. It went, uh, what think ye of Christ is the test? And then he closes that first stanza by saying this, you, you cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. And he's right. What think ye of Christ is the test. And you cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. So my question this morning is, what think you of Christ? Who is this Christ that we sing about? Who is the Christ of Christmas? And, and, and you, you hear different voices few examples. The last two weeks we've heard from men and women who've gone to places where the Muslim faith is by far and away the faith of the area. 
If you ask a Muslim person, what do you think of Christ? They would say this. We think Jesus was a holy prophet of God, like Moses, like Isaiah, like Abraham. He was not crucified on the cross because God will not let his prophet suffer such an ignominious defeat. Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't the greatest prophet. The greatest prophet was born 600 years after Jesus, and his name was Muhammad. If you ask a Hindu, uh, we have people we pray for this week who minister to Hindus in Bali, Indonesia primarily. If you ask a Hindu, what think ye of Christ? They would say, well, first of all, God cannot be defined. God is everything. Everything around us is God. That's why they call themselves pantheist. Everything is theist, is God. Therefore, to try to define God is a fool's errand because God is everything. Jesus is just one among thousands and thousands and thousands. What think ye of Christ? If you ask a Mormon, we have many friends that are Mormons. If you ask a Mormon, Latter-day Saint, what think ye of Christ? They say, well, Christ is the result of the literal physical union between God who took a physical body and Mary a literal physical union. And Jesus was an enlightened man who worked hard and hard and hard and gained the favor of God, just as you and I can. That's what they say. If you ask a liberal theologian or someone that's more of a materialistic worldview person, what think ye of Christ? They'll say, well, first of all, we have to correct your thinking. When you stand up and you quote the Apostles' Creed and you read the Bible, they're all pre-scientific autographs or sources. We believe, we don't believe in the virgin birth. Come on, virgin birth, come on. It's miraculous, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't believe in the virgin birth. We don't believe in some resurrection from the dead. We believe it's important to experience some euphoric existential hole in your being as you think about this Christ who is a heroic figure. He was a great man who, because of his humility and selflessness, was blessed of God to be an anointed person, the God who we cannot really define. And so we just stand up with, with a simple script before us, and we just read. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over or of all creation. Firstborn means he has the rule, the, the reign, the supremacy of all of creation. For by him all things were created. Christ spoke the world into existence. He is eternally God. And some other simple Bible messages. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds, present tense, all things by the word of his power. He sustains the world. And when he had past tense, made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God on high. He is the reigning eternal Christ. Or John chapter 1, a passage that 
many people will read and ponder this Christmas season. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's the reigning, creative, glorious Christ. And then it says this later in that chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so do these people with these despair voices, we stand up and say quite simply and quite frankly, uh, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we go to Hebrews. He's the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature. So, so years ago, 15 years ago now, maybe 12 years ago, there was a book in release called The Shack. It was very popular and uh, Numerous people said, you got to read this book. I did, and I thought it was horrible and didn't like the shack for, for 30 reasons. I'll be glad to tell you about it afterwards. But, 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 but people I've talked to said, you don't need you don't read to reinvent the Bible story. Just tell the Bible story. You don't have to present God in all these different forms. And, and I had several people say to me this. I said, well, do you understand this? Some people here come from abusive homes. And so when they hear God the Father, it causes them to pull inside because either they lived in an environment where the Father was an absentee person or the Father was a non-communicative person, maybe given to alcohol, or else the Father beat them or worse. So to talk to people about God the Father makes them feel bad. I said, I understand that. I said, but two, two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit has to teach us about God the Father. I don't have to go into psychoanalysis to do that. And secondly, if you want to see the Father, look at Jesus. <laughs> because he's the radiance of the Father's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. Or as this passage says, he's the image of the invisible God. Or as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so we, 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 we rejoice in this. We glory in this. So let me just give you four quick steps and then a closing. Number one, because of who Jesus is, the sin-bearing Savior, who's eternal God, who lived a sinless life, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of his death and his resurrection and his sinless life, I have dignity, purpose, and hope as his follower. Because, you see, God in his triune glory is definable. He's dealt with my sin. I'm forgiven. And he has adopted me into the family of God as his son. And I have the hope of heaven. Because he's the image of the invisible God. And it's so wonderful. It's so glorious. Number two. Christ made all creation. I just, I just love this. I, I like to think, to think about it. For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth. And then he talks about the hierarchy of demons and angels. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Just, just all things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him. And he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Worship God by understanding prepositions. 
He's the great creator God. And if he's the great creator God who spoke the world into being, then I should rejoice in beauty and goodness and wonder. And I think when Paul wrote this, he almost took, he may have taken his right hand and given a jab in the air and says, take that, you proto-gnostics, who say the earth is a putrid mess and that, and that the physical is ugly and that sexuality is nothing. He says, God made us. In his image, he spoke the world into being. All things were made through Jesus, for Jesus, and by Jesus. Wow. And that gives you dignity. That, that lets you rejoice. I, I was reading the other day about the swift. It's a bird. It's a, it's a bird. Uh, the, there's a picture of the swift. The swift, can, the swift can fly 100 miles an hour. A swift, one bird can fly 120,000 miles in one year. I mean, I, 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 sometimes I'm around people who understand colors and patterns and they can see things and, and they can put things together. They're, they're just gifted. And I, I, I am not. I am not. I'm a one-dimensional, boring dude. <laughs> or, or, you know, and, and I, I covet their gifts. I say, God, let me see beauty more. Let me be blown away by beauty. I was talking to my wife yesterday. And I said, you know, I said, do you have any regrets in life other than marrying me? And, uh, and we start to, she says, well, do you have any regrets? I said, well, one regret, I wish I played an instrument. I love music. I wish I played, I wish I played an instrument. She says, it's not too late. I said, ah. You know, for several years, you got to, I, I would play, play the string. I, I just love the cello. I, I, but for years, I had to put it with, ah, 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 ah. You know, I just, you, you're too old to put it with that now. Just, you know, you can do that. But just beauty. I, I look at the swift, though. I mean, I just, so I was reading about the swift. It's, it's a bird. Listen. New research reveals swifts are also astonishingly durable, holding the record for nonstop flight. Listen. They can stay airborne for up to 10 months at a time. <laughs> Isn't that something? Every year, Swifts embark on an epic 6,000-mile migration flying round-trip from Europe to sub-Saharan Africa and back. A Swedish study group tracked 19 of these tiny torpedo-shaped birds for two years. After feeding them with lightweight devices that monitored how fast and high they flew as well as when they rested, the researchers found the Swifts spent less than 1% of their migration on the ground. Remarkably, three of the birds never stopped flying. Suzanne Ockeson wrote for National Geographic, quote, they feed in the air, they mate in the air. Don't go there. They, they, they nest, they nest, they get their nest material in the air. Swifts. And then I was reading about the sun. The sun is a small star. Jesus made it. Do you realize that, that, that the sun, every second in the heart of the sun, 400 million tons of hydrogen are converted into helium? Every second. Boom, 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 boom. God made it. Glorious creation. So I'm saying, let my eyes be opened I was writing this this week, and I thought about, I thought about this. When I, when I was uh, 13 years of age, I got a basset hound. Now, I love dogs. If you don't like dogs, I'm sorry. 
I love dogs. We got this basset hound. The basset hounds are, are, they have the ears longer than their legs. They, they're just, I love this dog. I had this dog for, he died when I was 21, so I had him eight or nine years. He's my dog. And um, if you read about basset hounds, you're going to read that they were developed in France to hunt rabbits. Just, just, just let me say this. The only rabbits the basset hounds I know can hunt were almost dead rabbits. I mean, if you had any energy, basset hounds run 15 yards and go, well, that's it. I mean, they're, they're just, and they fall, they, they trip over their ears, and, and, and I, I love this. And I've thought about, why did God make basset hounds? Let me tell you, it wasn't hunt rabbits. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I think he just made it for us to be happy. To look at that basset hound and go, look at that cool dog. He loves kids. He's a sweet dog. He's cool. He's cool. That's creation. You know, I, I want to have an eye that sees, that sees beauty. I want to allow myself to be enchanted and overwhelmed because my Savior made the heavens and the earth in his triune glory. It's cool. Therefore, daily life, creation, the physical, has Dignity. We're not a mistake. We're not a highly developed mistake. We're made in the image of God. And that is powerful. Thirdly, if Christ sustains the world, it says here, he sustains the world. In him, all things hold together, which means he sustains the world in his providential sway. If Christ sustains the world, listen to me. I can go to sleep at night. God rules. God reigns. God watches. That's why the psalmist says he gives sweet sleep to his beloved. We only have sweet sleep because when we go to bed at night, we say, God, you're in control and I'm not. And, and that gives me joy and hope and I can go to sleep. God, you say in Matthew 10, not a sparrow falls to the ground without your knowledge. Therefore, I can have sweet sleep. And fourthly, it says this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, that's talking about his providential sway, but let me give you a metaphorical, exegetical window here. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think what he's saying there is that, is that the most important issue in my life is to understand the grandeur and the goodness and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. Because when Christ is enthroned, my life holds together. See, if, like John Newton said, if you don't get this right, you can't get anything right, ultimately. I, I believe this with every, every fiber of my being in my daily living, in my marriage, in my friendships, the most important thing is that Jesus Christ is central and praised and honored, and I submit to him in gladness and wholeness, and I walk under the authority of this, this book, and, and I, I, because in Christ all things hold together. Your, and this is your marriage. I meet young married people almost every week, or people that are getting married. I meet young parents all the time. I meet people starting businesses all the time. Listen, in Christ they hold together. I need to be a disciple and a servant and a worshiper of Jesus, who is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's who I am. I need to have my attention fixated upon Christ. Now, this week, 
December the 7th, it's the anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, 75 years ago. 75 years ago at 7.48 in the morning, Honolulu time, which was uh, almost 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. I just showed you a picture of the USS Arizona. On that one ship, 1,100 men perished. On that day, 2,955 Americans were killed on a Sunday. The next day, a president who was stricken with polio stood before the combined Senate and House and said, December the 7th, 1941 is a day that will live in infamy. And it has. When you study Pearl Harbor and the buildup to the war, I read a book a few months ago, a group called the America First Committee. I found it very interesting. The America First Committee was a group of Americans who said that America should never be involved in foreign wars. They said America was impregnable to foreign attack. They looked at the horrific bloodletting of World War I, the fact that we entered in the war in 1917 and in two years lost 160,000 of our finest young men. And they said that war was a family feud that had no purpose whatsoever. Therefore, we should not be involved in foreign wars. And they, there, was, there were 45 chapters. There were 800,000 people who had signed up to be on the America First bandwagon. Some of them included Sinclair Lewis, the famous novelist, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright. There was a man at Yale Law School by the name of Gerald Ford who headed up the America First Committee at his law school. There was a young naval officer who had just gotten out of Harvard two years before who sent a $100 check to the America First Committee says, I am with you. We should never be involved in foreign wars. And the young man's name was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. The spokesperson for the America First Committee really was a guy named Charles Lindbergh the great pilot, who had gone to Germany, was a guest of the Luftwaffe and Hermann Goring, and came back and said, Nazi Germany is arming to the teeth. We better be ready if something ever happens. Nobody listened to him. When World War II started in Pearl Harbor, we had the 16th largest army in the world, right behind Romania. So in June in 1941, Charles Lindbergh spoke to 30,000 people in Los Angeles, address billed as the Peace and Preparedness Mass Meeting Address, and he said in part that he was critical of those who seemed to be leading America into war, especially calling out Franklin Roosevelt. He proclaimed that the United States was in a position that made it virtually impregnable. He claimed that the interventionists and the British who called the, quote, defense of England were really saying, quote, we want to defeat Germany, close quote. He spoke against the British people on Winston Churchill. And yet everything changed on December the 7th. Two days after Pearl Harbor, the America First Committee voted unanimously to disband all their chapters. And Charles Lindbergh gave an address on December the 11th, and he closed it by saying this, Today we are at war. Today, the primary objective is not difficult to state. It can be completely defined in one word, victory. I thought, 
here's some very earnest people who had their opinions, and they were probably right in many ways. But when there was an unbridled, horrific attack upon their country, they changed course. I thought in my life, when I keep the reality of Christ central and the Great Commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth central, when I make that the focus of my life, it really simplifies the way I live. It simplifies my passions, my resolve. When I understand that he is the image of the invisible God, there's only one God in the fullness of time. This one God, wow, supernaturally, unbelievably, became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose victorious over death, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system that was established in the Garden of Eden. Boom. It keeps me focused. So, so may this Christmas, the reality of Christ, keep us focused, keep us energized, keep us centered on the beauty of Jesus, to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for the privilege of just opening the Bible. I just don't want to get over the joy of opening the Bible and hearing from you. It's amazing. And thank you for this letter written from a Roman prison by a guy who's going to be executed in a few years named the Apostle Paul. Thank you for this church at Colossae who were in, in the middle of discordant voices of all types of isms and pushings and thought systems just want to know about Jesus. And I pray that we're in the midst of our culture that we would just stand with people and love them and in in grace and kindness that he, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the ruler of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created. He's eternal. He's eternal God. And in him, all things hold together. Lord, I pray for our homes. I pray for our relationships. I pray for our work. I pray that it would be held together by the strong reality of Christ. It work in us through us. To the glory of your name, Lord. I pray for these generations that walk up and down our halls. Oh, God, have mercy upon them. And let us live lives that speak to them of the one who holds all things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.